I'm Abby. I'm an alcoholic. Today is my 318th day of sobriety. How did I get here? I was wanted by a mother. who fell in love with an older man, 18 years older. She had two kids. She was the daughter of an alcoholic mother who was very abusive physically. And she married an alcoholic and had two kids. And and then she met my dad. I haven't called him my dad in a while. So that sounds weird to say, but that's what he is. He's my father. Um, he was not an alcoholic. He suffered in another kind of way. I'm 35 and I grew up in a very rural part of Wisconsin in the United States, which is a very red place. I was very sheltered. My family was poor. I lived in a big old house that sat in a fantastic woods. I had untamed woods or a mile or two in every direction. No neighbors, really. Alcoholic, alcoholic, two alcoholic neighbors. It's a long road, literally. Um, but we were the last house in the middle of all of it and I don't remember the first time that my father hurt me. Trigger warning, child abuse. Um, 
triggers get me to a 10. So, fair warning. But I remember lots of it. I couldn't before. I couldn't when I was using and drinking and I always thought that was funny. I couldn't remember any of my childhood. I couldn't remember even being a teenager. But when I got sober for the first time, uh, I began to feel and I began to remember. And the longer that I stayed sober, the more that I could remember. I began drinking at um, 17, 18, I was a good kid. I was a fearsome kid. Grew up in the church and a disappointment. I talked too much and I cared about fairness and was loud about it. And I got in trouble a lot in school for it, for I would get bored because I was a smart kid and I, I would talk because I didn't need to pay attention as much. And, and so I was disciplined a lot for talking. I got quiet. My addictions first came in the form of eating disorder. That started when I was 13. I was eating as little as possible and uh, yeah did my schoolwork, was quiet, and hated myself. And almost from the gate, I was a blackout drinker. Began in, in university. I had intense social anxiety. I didn't want to be around people. And alcohol fixed that. And I would black out. I was on medication. I had been seeing a therapist since I was a teenager, depressed. And so the medication that I've been on for 20 years or more, you know, it didn't. Me and alcohol have, have never meshed well.
I remember coming out of my blackouts though in a number of embarrassing stories. And I put myself in a lot of danger. I was listening to someone talk about how in a meeting earlier today about how they really put their life in danger in their last years of drinking and, and I always put my life in danger as soon as I started drinking. And before that, with the eating disorder and self-harm, cutting, um, hitting myself, pulling my hair, lots of self-harm in my story and Examples, I was found laying in the middle of the street after being drugged, I think. I was violently ill and it was the only time I've been that sick. I'm pretty sure I got roofied, but I was 18 in a bar with a fake ID. And someone found me in the street and I woke up in their house. Years later, I woke up on a yacht, naked, with strangers. Later in my drinking, I did a lot of drinking and driving, but I remember a lot of times where my, I feel like I shouldn't be here telling you this story. Um, the last year of my, the last six months of my drinking, I started drinking in the mornings. I became a parent and eventually needed to socialize at like open gyms, you know, 10 in the morning, nine in the morning, taking my kid to open gym and there are moms there and they're friendly and they want to talk and I didn't know how to do that it was very uncomfortable and I didn't like it and and so my my drinking shifted to meet my needs socially I began drinking in the morning and before I knew it I mean it really spiraled out of control fast I was drinking every morning all through the day. And on July 2nd of 2019, I was blacked out and I was driving my car with my daughter in the back seat. And 
I hit our garage. And I came to in an argument with her father, insisting that I didn't hit the garage. I was angry and confused. I didn't understand what was happening. The next morning I woke up and I drank again. I didn't have to drive, it was Saturday. And that was it. Took me to the hospital and you need to get sober. So I detoxed at the hospital. And then I was there for hours. And then the doctors started asking me questions. Why are you, why are you doing what you're doing? And it all came out. I had never told anyone. No one knew. I was 32. My father didn't just hurt me. He violated a lot of people. He was physically abusive and angry and neglectful in really morbid ways. If he wasn't watching the news, like 60 Minutes or Dateline or some shit like that, he was on his computer. And our computer was in a really like central part of the house, just at the bottom of the stairs. He stood at the top of the stairs or like in the kitchen or or whatever. You could see he wasn't in its own room. He was really bad at hiding it. He had an addiction to children. He fetishized them. He was violent when I did something that he didn't like. So, For example, the house was cold in the winter time. They kept the heat very low because we were poor. And I didn't have any heat in my room. I slept above the garage and I would wake up and I would be so cold. And I always woke up early, which I also got in trouble for. And I would turn up the heat just a little bit and he would wake up and he would find out and he would beat the shit out of me with a stick. He would lock me in our dog's kennel. I would cry and wait. 
And then eventually he would come and get me, tell me that I didn't love him, which was confusing because I did. I was a little kid. He was my dad. That I didn't appreciate what he could provide. And then he would molest me. And eventually, I learned how to mind. I learned how to not step out of line. Keep quiet. If you're going to get into shit, be sneaky about it. But the sexual assault went on into my 20s. I didn't understand. And then I was always drunk. There was that voice in my head, this doesn't feel good, this doesn't feel right. And I would drink more. And he was really, really good at making me feel sorry for him. And I didn't have the tools to to not receive that. And and that was it. My mom found out. I found out that he had done it to my sisters. I found out that he had done it to my nieces. I found out that his father was the same way and that he had done it to my aunts and my cousins. And all of us are alcoholics. <laughs> And I tried to get sober. Toward the end, and I think this is important, I knew that it couldn't stop. I knew I had to stop and, and I couldn't, I couldn't breathe without it. I couldn't, exist without shaking and twitching and having breakdowns. Maybe some of you can imagine, but I don't know how to describe. There were two people growing up. There was me who ran away to the woods and was happy and free and full of love. And then there was the me that I was made to be afraid, filled with hate. And that is true today. I'm still very quiet. I still have 
a lot of hate and, or at least I did when I got sober, I was very afraid and angry and mental anguish. I felt like I was being tortured from the inside. I had to feel that for the first time. And I couldn't bear it. I didn't stay sober. I wouldn't get sober for almost two years. I tried and I went in with, without the desperation that I needed, I didn't want to live. I wanted to die. There are days when I still do. It is hard to live and feel your feelings when so much of who you are is fear. I'm afraid of everything. But about two about 318 days ago, the father of my child said, that's it, you have to leave. And I had lost the only reason for living, my daughter. I had really lost everything. I had lost the marriage, I had lost friends, I didn't have any friends, I'd lost everything. But that, that was it for me. I had no reason to live without her. And I got my desperation. I could not fail. My life was unmanageable. And I had to do something different. I began to go to meetings earnestly. And there are days when it feels like you're li crawling out of, literally crawling out of this hole. It is wet, you get nowhere. I feel like I'm, I'm grabbing, trying so hard to hold on to her. And then I remember just maybe 10 days in, I looked at her and I felt like I really saw her for the first time since the first time that I saw her when she was laid up on my chest and I looked down at her face. I saw her and I realized how much I had missed 
And I also saw what could be the life where I get to see her and really see her and hear her laugh and really hear it. That was my first piece of hope. For a while, I grasped at anything that I could grab hold of. I mean, I'm an alcoholic. The chapter more about alcoholism in the big book and are you an alcoholic? Like, yes. The steps for me though. I thought, okay, power of two, power of this room. I don't believe in God. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe my story happened for a reason. I believe that it just happened. Some people are fortunate. Other people suffer. And everyone thinks they suffer. It's just human nature. I got rolled, I got handed cards, just like everyone gets handed cards. Some people have better cards than other people. In time though, I went to a lot of meetings. I still go to a lot of meetings, but I remember thinking, oh, these are my people. I had never felt safe. I'd never felt like I belonged until I walked into an AA room. We have a hard time feeling our feelings for one reason or another. Seems like there's a lot of traumatic histories in these rooms. With good people who get lost. Bad things happen too. When we stumble and fall and for the people who wake up and realize that it could have been different. I had to be willing to believe, I had to be open-minded, step two. I made that choice. Believe that opening yourself is a choice. And that choice for me, took desperation. What the hell is my higher power? It took me almost 10 months to figure it out. Talking with people who've done it before me. Connecting with people who are new. Talking with people who have my story, knowing that I'm not alone. We struggle with the same things. We have the same empty feelings. And 
that little one, not my daughter, me, the happy, joyous, and free little girl skipping around with no shoes on in the mud. She was fearless. She's my evidence that I could have had a different life and that I can have a different life if I do the work. Getting through sobriety has been about the quiet walk. It's torturous, but it's a quiet walk. I have tunnel vision. I can look outside around me and I can look behind me. Behind me is stuff that I recognize. And all around me is stuff that I kind of recognize, but it's obliterated. I destroyed it. I neglected it. And then, and then I started walking and now I'm walking along this road that I don't recognize. I don't recognize love. I don't recognize safety. I don't recognize friendship. I don't recognize laughter. I recognize the pain, but intermingled in all of that are these things that I don't recognize. And I don't know where I'm going. I just know that I have to keep going. I look at working the steps as reprogramming. For me, it's about observing what happens, observing how I respond to what happens, applying what I learned in the program, and doing that instead, and observing what happens, what comes of that. And over time, my brain learns. Stimulus. This is what you do. We've decided that what you do doesn't work. What does the program say you should do? Do that. What happens? Response. Stimulus. Response. Rewire. Separate myself from my feelings by putting them on paper, seeing them out loud science. It's simple. But it takes time. You just magically change the brain. It takes consistency and discipline. It takes awareness. It takes rehabilitation. It takes 
believing that it'll work. Faith. And so I do my work every day. I meditate every day for 20 minutes. I do mantras. Everything that I need, I already have. I do not need to chase. Nothing that is for me will miss me. I figure out what my insecurities are, what I'm so afraid of. And I tell myself something different. I say it in my brain over and over and over and over and over again. And then I move my body. And I practice self-love. Even though, you know, it's just this marathon. And after the marathon, it's another marathon of trial and sometimes error. I go to two meetings a day and I do service at both of them. I understand the program. I've studied, I've read and studied and studied and understood. Now it's about building my character and being of service for the next couple of years. Understanding that some meetings feed me and some meetings I'm doing the feeding. Listening to that, making sure that I'm not just feeding, 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 feeding and not getting fed. Cyclical. Right now I'm doing a ton of service. That's not gonna last. Eventually I'm gonna need to get fed. And I do this work every day. Just trudging along. And some days I want to quit. Some days I want to die. Don't want to do it anymore. I'm tired. And I call my friend. One of my friends. And I cry. And I say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I just want to die. I just want to sleep. I just want to rest. I cry and cry and cry. And I go to sleep. And I do it over again. Just keep walking. Keep going. I think about what I want and I do something different. I take every opportunity I can to be of service, even if I have no belief in myself. I do it anyway. This is my work. This is my walk. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here tonight. I don't know if this is helpful. Is what I do. So far, it's working. I get through that anguish 
and I come out on the other side. And I may not feel a lot. But man, oh man. That child of mine. I feel her. People with a lot of sobriety that I'm connected to laugh at me and my dramatic statements like, it's going to be okay, we're all going to die someday. And I hope someday I can laugh too. I love that they love me. They don't care that I get really angry and blow up at a meeting or sob all through a meeting. They love me so much. What the fuck is that? It's a trip. been a wild ride so far and I hope to you know that's it for me that's step three I'm on step I just finished step three I hope to come back in some years hopefully we can all laugh at What a tripping is. Thank you for hearing my story.